Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we talk about one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum. And here we are finally at launch, Chris. This is uh, uh, what we've been moving moving towards slowly but surely. Very exciting. <laughs> and uh, the number one thing that popped out of me this minute is as they're launching, Mary Hayes shuts her eyes. <laughs> it's like, why did you come? <laughs> yeah. Nobody shuts their eyes at a rocket launch. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely a, an inspiring moment there. Everything is uh, everything's happening. Uh, things are jumping. Uh, the whole world's shaking. And, I'd have uh, to think that this is a very patriotic moment if you were there to watch that in person that you'd have to yeah. feel pretty patriotic i mean that we were doing this yeah it's a very very american thing i mean just uh just seeing it and i you know the, those big letters on the side they make sure they made sure the flag you know the, this big tw- 25 foot uh, long flag is uh you know pasted on the side of that saturn five and the and the letters usa on the first stage so that's that's at eye level as it clears the tower that's awesome um, but just a just an amazing thing, just an amazing feat uh, uh, to to build something like that, and uh, and of course uh, Mary's decked out in red, white, and blue, so uh, definitely a, a great day for America, and just uh, really great. Again, you know, we we've we've touched on this before, but Digital Domain just did a fantastic job on recreating what a what a Saturn V looked like taking off. All that those sheets of ice falling off the sides of the huge machine as it as it climbs into the sky. Oh, absolutely. And and I think it's one of those things that, you know, future generations are going to be able to look back at, at this footage and and really, really get what it was. Because the older we get, you know, the younger generations come in. And in, I mean, I was born in 80. And I've never seen a Saturn V launch. Yeah. So imagine what kids that are being born, you know, in, in you know, future decades are, are coming in. That just seems like, wow, you guys went up in a capsule and splashed down in the ocean. And uh, oddly enough, we're kind of going back to that. But. Uh, I remember, um, you know, as a kid, I, I grew up with a shuttle, and I couldn't believe when my parents would, you know, show me stuff of, you know, what the what the spacecraft looked like back when, uh, you know, Mercury uh, had just started. So I think this is something that, you know, we'll be able to look back at. As much as this is a movie, it also captures a piece of history that, you know, young people can actually go out and check out and, and get a feel of, of how this stuff all worked. I mean, and they... It's a movie, but the same token, you're going along for a ride. It's describing what an Apollo flight would be like to someone who maybe is new at all this. Yeah, yeah. This is. Uh, I do. Yeah, I, I feel very fortunate that I was, I was of an age to see these things happen as they were happening, and uh, you know, it, it, I think my particular generation feels like we we got cheated out of the thing that we were always told. You know, you're sitting there with your eating your Cheerios, watching these things taken off. And you think they're going to the moon, and it's like everybody, everybody my age thought, "Oh, we're all gonna wind up going to the moon. We'll be jumping on a, you know, jumping on a shuttle like <laughs> in 2001, and heading heading off to Clavius Base and stuff." And all that just kind of got put to bed for 50 years. And it's, you know, it's simultaneously very heartening to see this, but then it's it's also sad that, gee, you know, a half a century 
is going by with nobody, you know, no footsteps on the moon. Well, hopefully before before 50 years go by, we'll have some a new set of boots on the moon. But, Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, there was part of me that was really hoping that maybe we'd uh, we'd do it in time for the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I certainly don't see that happening now. But uh, in the back of my head, maybe about a year or two ago, I'm like, I wonder if maybe they'll do it. <laughs> like, yeah, well, maybe maybe Jeff Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk will put down some cash and get, get something going. Just <laughs> yeah. make it make it happen. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, of course, in this thing, I, it's the greatest – uh, artistic license taken in this particular minute is uh, is Ken Mattingly parked next to his <laughs> neck and not you know not bleeding out of his ears <laughs> while uh, <laughs> while his Corvette bounces across the dunes, but he's just a little teeny bit close. One of the things that uh, that happens in the very you know as as we're watching them all getting shake shaken loose and they're they're looking up at the at the screen. Two two major displays that we see. Uh, one is the, of course, the all-important when J- Jim Lovell says the clock is running. That mission elapsed time. Everything on the ship is based off a of mission elapsed time. So when that, when you see that number one appear on the display, that's a that's a really important moment because every other event that's going to happen on, on this thing is based off of that little timer. Yeah, you know, I, the only other thing I've ever been involved with uh, uh, that was similar to that was when I worked. Um, dispatching medical helicopters we had a we had a clock very similar but that was for the whole day and you know anytime you talk to a helicopter you had to actually end the conversation uh as far as like a page or anything like that with what time it was you know if it was seven o'clock you had to end it you know this unit three was paged out oh seven fifteen like yeah so it, it, yeah it, it was interesting to watch this movie and then kind of go work somewhere where it was like oh i understand like that that running clock is pretty important and yeah. i mean even more so when you're flying something like this oh for sure yeah and you know and, and tie, tied into that mission elapsed time is the uh, the brains of the whole outfit that's the uh, the apollo guidance computer which is also known as ags or agc is the uh, is the computer the apollo guidance computer and that's kind of the dashboard the status indicators for everything that's going on in the ship and that's you know right there in front of jack swigert's face he gets to watch everything happening. Um, the, the computers were based, you know, they're very simple. They had core memories. They're hard, hard wired. Uh, all the programs were built into them, and you just typed in different numbers, nouns and verbs, telling, you know, the, the noun explaining what part of the ship you're pointing at, and uh, the verb telling you what you want to do with that part of the ship. In the very final second of this particular minute, we're looking at a bunch of information, uh, very critical during launch. Um, at the top, it's saying the noun is 16 and the verb is 62, and that means display launch information. Well, looking at launch information, uh, it doesn't quite make sense though for what what's happening there. What what's ha- if you picture that the Apollo Saturn V is aiming for a point in space to put itself? It's kind of like the on ramp to the highway, and the highway is the orbit that they're going to be establishing with uh with the the launch of the Apollo Saturn 5. So when you look at that uh those numbers the the first number uh 62 shows you how high the apogee of the this initial orbit will be and then uh the second number is how high uh the perigee of the orbit will be. That's in those are in uh, nautical miles. And uh, right now they're both showing positive numbers 62 and 150 and 
if if anybody if you if you've ever played uh, KSP the Kerbal Space Program, which by the way I can strongly recommend if you've it's, never it's a lot if, of fun. If you have to play if you if if you play only one game in your life, play <laughs> KSP because the Kerbal Space Program will teach you more in 20 minutes about orbital mechanics than a uh, a graduate course in orbital mechanics. <laughs> so what they're doing is when you launch uh, picture a circle, an ever-expanding circle, and that's, or more precisely, an oval. And uh, as you add thrust to the way you're traveling, your oval is getting longer and longer. You're heading toward an apogee, a, a far distance from Earth. And the uh, if you overlay that with a with a globe, uh, until you get fast enough to make yourself an orbit, the perigee, the nearer, the, the closeness you get to the to the Earth is going to be negative. Um, it's that famous, uh, that famous drawing of uh, Newton's cannon. They called it, where if you picture on a very high hill, if you fired a cannon uh, sideways, that the the ball would fly out and then get dragged by by gravity toward the center of the Earth and would make increasingly larger and larger parabolas until finally, in the final parabola, the parabola would encircle the Earth and it would never land on the ground. So what you're trying, what they're trying to do here, is get that second number to be positive, and particularly get that second number above, uh, say, 80 miles, because then it won't be affected by um, Earth's atmosphere. For so for the this initial part of the part of the flight where they're just in the first, you know, the first couple of seconds, that second number should be a negative number, not a positive 150 like it's showing there. And uh, it's it's a minor mistake, but you know if they, they just had to show the thing and and I don't think uh, Ron Howard was aiming this at people who were going to be uh, stopping the stopping the film every few frames to read every every dial and gauge like like we're doing <laughs> but uh, it's a you know it, it's very it's a very intriguing uh, little device and it was very important to the astronauts so they could find out where you know what kind of shape their orbit was coming into there uh, the third line on there is telling them where if the if the engines all cut off, how many seconds it would take the spacecraft to fall from where they're at now to 300,000 feet, which is where they would hit reentry. And that's not really important at the moment. So actually, it should be zeroed out because they're not, it, it wouldn't, they're not up to 300,000 feet yet. Um, but what would, uh, the reason that they need to know that is part of abort procedures. And we'll talk more about abort procedures tomorrow. But basically, they have to they have, to have their uh, ship lined up for reentry uh, in that many seconds on that third line to, uh, so, so that their, their ship is properly aligned when, they're, when they reach their reentry interface in case of an abort. So a lot of technical stuff there, but it's, uh, it's fascinating. I mean, there's, there's dozens and dozens of websites that explain how the Apollo guidance can, computer system works. And if you're, if you're into that kind of thing, like, like I know I am, and maybe you are too. <laughs> um, well, you, I, I, oh, well, you know, it's funny. You talked about uh, Kerbal Space Program and uh, my old roommate, uh, Tom, used that and played that a lot. It was really funny. We were at a dinner and Charlie Precord was there. He's on the, on our board here at EAA. And we, we brought up, you know, Tom brought up, uh, you know, some orbital mechanics and Charlie was like, well, yeah, that's right. You know, and he started talking and Charlie was like, well, how did you know that? I used that on the shuttle. And Tom's like, well, I, I used it in Kerbal space program. And, and Charlie knew of it. He was like, oh yeah, I know that program. <laughs> so, uh, just, uh, speaking to the, you know, the, um, 
I don't know. I guess the accuracy of that uh, that game you were mentioning. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can imagine that. That I mean, I wish I had when I was taking orbital mechanics. I wish I had had Kerbal. I wish that was around because <laughs> it makes so many things so much more obvious to you. Uh, one of the one of the things, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more tomorrow when uh, when they first launch uh, every every. Every spaceship. I mean, whether it was Apollo or even you know when the, during the shuttle programs and uh, all the SpaceX and uh, you know anything you know Delta fours and things that are coming off the line uh, now, they all run the they they all have to do the same things in real life that you have to do in the Kerbal Space Program. You're you're launching in the case of Florida, uh, which is twenty eight point five degrees north latitude uh, on the Florida coast. Uh, when you're trying to get into an equatorial orbit, you have to Turn the ship so that you can do a. Uh, you can't get into an equatorial orbit immediately. You have to get up to get up to altitude, get up to your apogee, and then kind of make a a slight left turn so that you're on the same plane as where you want to be. Now, if you're in if in the Apollo program, uh, you could you could get into an equatorial uh, orbit, but what you wanted to do is get into an orbit that's about five degrees off from equatorial because what you're what you're trying to do is match the plane of the moon's orbit which is about five degrees off from the equator and uh, so that's what they're aiming for they're aiming for a point in space uh, a little bit not too far above not too not too far off from uh, being directly above the indian ocean and uh, when they get to that point on the other side of the planet they're gonna make another they'll make a slight turn uh, to the left and then uh, fire their engines and change the plane of their orbit as well as round out the the shape of their orbit you, you know it all happens based and, and they're doing it with the with the numbers that are that are being displayed on that uh, DSKY the disky uh, monitor now jim i, I don't know uh, you know i mean i'm new at the space stuff more or less the last couple of years but uh, is this one of the reasons why uh, you know like when you see the shuttle take off it has to do that roll sort of you know, as it's launching, they usually have to do some sort of a a roll on takeoff. You know what I'm talking about? The right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when yeah, if if you think about where where they launch, they launch. I mean, picture pad 39. It's like a big compass, and it's this big circle. And at the uh, you know north is zero, and and uh, you, compass directions like in like an aircraft, you're going you're going, you know, at 90 or or zero to go into a polar. You can't really right. go for. A, you can't go into a polar orbit from Florida because you'd hit if something went wrong you'd you'd smash into like Charleston, South Carolina. So, so, so what they do is, in the case of the shuttle, let's we'll take you know any of the recent shuttle missions where they went the the, the last shuttle missions when they were going to the uh, International Space Station all the time. The first thing that the shuttle does after it clears the tower is it begins uh, what they call a roll program. Same thing that Apollo did. Instead of turning south to go toward the equator the shuttle would uh, flip over on its back and aim toward 51.6 degrees north. That would set them up on the same uh, inclination as the International Space Station. And they'd start playing a game of catch-up. It's easier to do it from the ground up than trying to make the turn while you're at speed. So you just kind of, your initial point where you're, where you're jumping onto the, uh, <laughs> onto the rail uh, is is easy from you know from the ground that way. Now it's more difficult when you're trying to get into an equatorial orbit because you're already 28 degrees off. So you have to kind of reverse yourself 
when you're up in space. That takes a little bit more energy. When you watch any kind of launch at, at the Cape, find out what their mission is. And you can, you know, I mean, just about everything that you see uh, going to the International Space Station, you'll see it heading up toward, well, it'll be heading up toward New Hampshire. I mean, it goes, it goes off to the northeast there, 55 degrees, or 51 degrees. And, um, it, you know, that, that, that's all just to save, uh, to save energy than having to do it when you're in orbit. Oh, that's wild. That, that was educational for me right there. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd watched launches for a while, and I always, when you were talking, I'm like, I think that's why they do the roll program, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely it. And, uh, you know, and, and a lot of people think, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to bring up the, the movie, but when you watch the movie Gravity, uh, <laughs> Gravity, Gravity is to uh, orbital mechanics what... Uh, what Roadrunner cartoons are to gravity. <laughs> um, it, you can't, you, it, it's not very easy to change your, not only your velocity, but to change uh, your, your trajectory. Your trajectory is, you know, I mean, momentum is a very powerful thing and trying to change the angle of your momentum is, is an expensive proposition in terms of energy. Uh, if you try to picture, I'm, oh, here, here's a, here's a, a great, and now uh, there's a scene in Gravity where uh, they're working on the Hubble and there's, you know, there's shuttle blows up and they have to get onto a, um, you know, into another, onto another space station. So what they do is they, they jump off of their, where their, where their shuttle is and they go, they go to another, another ship. Now imagine if you slowed it all down and moved it about a hundred miles closer to earth, imagine you're on a flight from San Francisco to New York city and you decide that you've got to uh, get off your get off the plane you're flying on, and you want to get on a plane that's flying from Dallas to Chicago. So you open the door and you're going to jump and land on the plane below you that's heading to Chicago. If you slam into a plane that's going at you know 0.8 Mach, <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna survive very well because it's going to absorb the energy of your uh, your uh, your your momentum, and you'll be just kind of uh, bug spray on their windshield, and uh, speed that up and move it up a hundred mile, uh, hundred miles into space, and that's pretty much the same problem in the movie Gravity. You, you can't change trajectories that simply, not without a huge um, injection of uh, of impulse, you know, of, of propulsion in the direction that you want to go. So uh, all, all this stuff is best solved when you don't have uh, existing momentum on your ship. So that's why they do a lot of this. The role programs and stuff happen on the ground rather than up in space. <laughs> so is that one of the reasons there's a lot of people that I don't want to get off on talking about another movie here, but uh, there's a lot of folks that do not like that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put, put me on that list. I mean, I, you know, and when people say it's just a movie, it's like, well, it's, it's bad movies like that, that make it hard for people. I mean, it's why, you know, I mean, back going back in time, uh, during the, the the mission for Columbia, uh, the final mission of Columbia, people talked about, well, why couldn't they have just gone over to the International Space Station and gotten on that ship and then uh, waited it out while they found a replacement for Columbia and they would never have to re-enter the Earth? Well, you can't change the Columbia. Columbia wasn't flying on the same uh, orbital inclination as the International Space Station. It was flying almost uh, on the equatorial plane. And it was doing its own thing. It wasn't a it wasn't a space station uh, mission. So to switch over to the uh, fifty one point six degree uh, inclination of the International Space Station, 
you'd almost need about the same amount of fuel as it took to launch Columbia into space. So that the getting onto the International Space Station from a wrecked Columbia or you know disabled Columbia was not an option because it's, it's just simply there's not, there's not enough energy left uh, on the orbiter to uh, to make that kind of a change. Well, it's it's a good explanation for it. And uh, to be honest, when you play that Kerbal game, that actually all comes into play. It's really uh, really interesting. I hate, hate to keep going back to that, but uh, when you said that, I'm like, holy cow! It wasn't just my roommate that played that. It was yeah, no, it's it's real. I mean, <laughs> I, I've 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 heard several astronauts say this is exactly what it's like, and it's it really is. I mean, I, I can I don't normally recommend video games, but Kerbal is such a a not you know it. it Orbital mechanics is somewhat non-intuitive, so especially in things like rendezvous. Well, we'll be talking about them later in in this in the show. But there's so many things in spaceflight that just don't automatically pop into your head, and you have to kind of do the math and go, "Oh, that's why it works that way." But Kerbal teaches you a bit of the intuitive nature of this. Of how you can watch, you can you know you add thrust, and you can watch your orbit expand rapidly, um, depending on where you're where you're adding, if you're adding it on the perigee or the apogee of an orbit, you can see how it affects, uh, how it affects the, your future orbits. And uh, that's just a really nice thing about the program. And I wish, gosh, if you, if you know any like middle school kids or things, have them play Kerbal because it, it really sinks in how math is important in, uh, in, getting, in getting the job done for, for missions like those. So anyway, enough of the Kerbal Minute, but it's uh, a... <laughs> Uh, this particular minute, I'm glad we're we're finally underway, and uh, you know James Horner is at his best, playing all the very stirring music as it goes up. But it, it very much in keeping with with the spirit of the whole thing, as as you said at the beginning, this is a very patriotic moment, and uh, it's a very powerful statement about what what people can do when they you know they put their head heads together and. Uh, you know, put the resources toward getting a job done. This is an amazing, even, you know, this is the, the third mission to land on the moon, and it's still amazing. It's still, you know, that, that they keep doing it. It's it's just an amazing uh, event, an amazing effort in the in the history of mankind. Oh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, like I say, I always say I'm jealous I wasn't there to see one of them. I, I just, I would love to know the feeling you're sitting on Earth looking up at the moon knowing there's people up there. Uh, that would just that would be pretty cool. I look forward to that feeling again. Yeah, I get I get a little bit of that when when you watch the uh, we have that little um, uh, app on our on, on our phones that tells you when the initial space station is going over and you know running out in the backyard and seeing seeing it go over and thinking wow there's there's people on that little dot going overhead and they're they're going to be up there for months. But yeah, I, I remember looking at the moon and, and thinking about people crawling around on it. Uh, back in the day, and I, I want to get that feeling again. So let you know. Hope, hopefully, we can you know make it happen. Help <laughs> help Chris see um, see people walk on the moon again, please. <laughs> you know. uh, we'll set up a GoFundMe or something. But in the meantime, uh, let's uh, let's pause here, and uh, we'll we'll keep going with the mission tomorrow. We're going to talk a little bit more about um, what happens when things go wrong. But we'll uh, we'll, we'll explain what, what their plans were for when things go wrong. But we'll, we'll catch up with that. If you would like to catch up with previous episodes that you may have missed. Go to our uh, big website, Apollo13Minute.com, Apollo13Minute.com. You can find us also on iTunes or on Google Play or wherever you get your fine podcast. Uh, Just go in uh, in the search bar, type Apollo13Minute, 
and click subscribe and you get it delivered hot and fresh every day, uh, at least Monday through Friday. Um, and uh, if you'd like to reach out to us, we are always available in the usual spots, Twitter, Apollo 13 Minute, and on Facebook, uh, the Apollo 13 Minute Mission Control. Uh, we'll be back here tomorrow to talk abort mode, so, uh, so we'll see you then. It looks like uh, lost the signal in about 30 seconds, so we'll see you tomorrow here on the Apollo 13 Minute. Thank you.